people, welcome to Particularly Laid Bear, the podcast. This week is going to be about football with Iman. And this is going to be another one of his double podcasts, going to last for an hour. And originally, the presentation was uh, on slides, and it's available on YouTube if you want to see the slides of Iman. And here, obviously, there will be only the audio. Uh, without any further ado, Iman, the floor is yours. So Real Madrid, I think, probably the most expensive club to buy. Um, certainly it was before uh, Perez's and other uh, attempts with the European Super League. But still, it's probably the more expensive club in the world. But to buy roughly with three and a half billion would probably buy it if the club members would, al would allow you. But to put it in the context, you know, Blackstone, one of the big players in private equity, is you know several times larger than that. And that's just part of the Blackstone business, their, their list of business. And then, of course, you know, some of the tech businesses like like Facebook is. So, again, it's just going to explain that you know, these football clubs are big and expensive, but relative to other businesses, actually quite small uh, in this wider world of business. Yeah, but they don't have a huge amount of revenue either, right? So, uh, For football clubs? Yeah, I mean, it's a 600 million. It's not like a huge business. True, like, yeah. It's a football I, club, but it's not like... Uh, yeah, it's not. I mean, I think that's what I'm trying like to show is... It's not a supermarket, it's not... Yeah, or a car maker, and and it looks at the revenues are kind of you know are kind of you know lever you know sort of sort of flattening out in some cases going down. So you know there may be an issue of maybe some of these clubs they cannot squeeze any more money out of these clubs or any uh, any other sort of. And 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 it's very expensive. Huh? But, but something worth six times revenue um, is is a very expensive company. It's a very punchy valuation. Yeah, and that's maybe why we so they have a prestige set. They haven't too many. Yeah, I mean that's part of the issue here, right? It's not, it's not a it's not a, it's not a rational business football, because you know you've got an issue of lots of the fans believe they own the business. I mean you've got a sort of almost legal property issue here, where you've got the fans believing that they own these the, the, these clubs, and maybe they do, but you know that's not sort of different from most businesses. This is just a rough outlay of a leveraged buyout. So you've got um, you know in summary, you know a new company is formed to make an offer for an existing business. And in summary, you know, there's there's lots of leverage put put into the business that has been acquired. So um, we've got, I think we've got a worked example here. So, um, so LBO pitch side example. So FC um, Chewbacca, so we've got um, a French football club is owned by Vic Falapu, a mad and wealthy French professor. So this football club is up for sale and is currently debt free. So there's a buyer in the market called Darth Vader who wants to form a new company, a new co, to buy the business of this French football club. But to do so, it's going to use the, the assets and the collateral uh, of the club, so the stadium revenues, um, gate receipts. And in effect, it will use the assets of the business to secure the loans which it sort of has to make to buy the company. And, you know, in a sort of, to sort of confuse enough where that's kind of a so basically it's a way of buying a company uh, where the leverage is secured against the assets of the company you're buying and what we've done in this present in this research we've kind of reviewed how many of the clubs in the european super league have gone through what's called leverage buyout so i've got a question now for lord treason actually you can see your face on the screen so tell me what you're looking at david oh you're on mute. Hey, first one of the evening. Uh, 
I'm looking at a number of stadia and I was going to say that the actual business that all of these clubs are in is the business of running stadiums. That is what they do. They'll fill it with anything they want. Okay. And, and they own the stadium. Is it pretty common for football teams to own the stadium? I think in France, the stadium is usually owned by like the region, by, by government body, not by the club. Like Stade de France is not owned by a club. No, that, I, I'm not even sure if Parc de Prince is owned by Paris Saint-Germain. That, that, that is true in France. And um, in this country, some municipalities have, uh, ha have owned Stadia, but uh, increasingly they're owned by the, uh, by the clubs. It's an interesting difference. I, w I wonder how it is in the US or in other sports. It's true. Now you say it like the Emirates is, uh, stadium is obviously owned by Arsenal. Um, yeah. But I wonder I, what it is in other countries. Like, like I think, I think the, the one difference, by the way, is Chelsea. I, th I think Stamford Bridge is owned by the supporters, not by Abramovich, I think. So, but what, what you're looking still at here, of course, owned, is... Still partly owned by Ken Bates. Is that right? Oh, okay, that's a name for the blast. So what you're looking at here, of course, there's... Um, so you're, so you're, you're looking at 11 stadiums. So these are all the, these are all the stadiums of the the twelve founding clubs of the European Super League. But Ludovic, do you know why there, do you know why there's eleven listed, not twelve? No, I'm wondering which one is the twelve. Atletico was the twelfth one. No? So there's only eleven because the Milan, AC, and, and Inter share San Siro. So there's only eleven stadiums for the twelve founding members. So we've got. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Um, so here's some trip down sort of memory lane. So we're just looking at examples of when did football clubs start being sold to an extent. And so one example of being corporate sale is, of course, selling the branding on your shirt. I think the first example was uh, Kettering Town from 1976. And actually, a Northern Irish guy, Derek Duggan, had a great idea of trying to sort of monetize the advertising space in the shirts. Uh, Kettering Tires, which is not private equity owned, uh, I checked. They, um, they, this didn't go down very well with the FA. In fact, the FA wrote to them twice, uh, issued a sort of a threat of a thousand pound fine. So in the end, they had to change their shirt back to that. But eventually, of course, this changed. And of course, then you look at, this is the 12 clubs from the founding clubs in the European Super League. So this is from 1978, the year I was born. And as you can see, only one of those 12 clubs had a sponsor, which was um, Hitachi. So that was, the deal was signed in 78 and in 79, they start wearing the, the, and then of course today, it's very different. So here are the 12 sort of named founding members. Um, you can see most of their names, shirts. Um, well, the reason for doing, looking at this, we were trying to see how many of these sponsors were actually owned by private equity firms. Um, actually none of them, although, Again, as some of you may know, Man U has changing their sponsor, I think, from next year to a tech business called TeamViewer, which actually we use internally. And lo and behold, TeamViewer is private equity owned, a firm called Primera. Um, Pirelli just going back into Milan. I'm sure you recognize the, uh, the, the Pirelli sort of sponsor. I think they sponsored Inter Milan for two plus decades. That is now ending, end of the season. And uh, a business called StripChat has made an offer to be their sponsor. And I wouldn't advise you to Google, by the way, StripChat, um, because you might get some, some dodgy responses. But I can confirm it's not private equity owned StripChat. Iman, it, 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 there is maybe a deep reason as well why private equity is not often sponsoring football, either on the side of a, of a pitch or on the, on the shirt. And that's because 
uh, private equity typically is very focused on just value for money, on cash, on increasing profits. And a lot of people who sponsor uh, football teams, they do so with money of other people and in order to get a, a seat in the lounge of a stadium. So mm -hmm. if you're the CEO of a publicly traded company, that's not your money. But if your company sponsors a football team, then you get four tickets or an anti-lounge in, in your favorite stadium every weekend. And so that, that is a big motivation and, and for, for sponsoring uh, uh, certain teams by certain companies. We see most of the sponsoring comes from publicly traded companies, not really from family firms, not from private equity, because it's their money. When it's a publicly traded company, it isn't. So it's, it's, it's seen as a perk uh, by management to, 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 to most of the sponsoring of sport. I guess clearly the word not that will change as private equity tries to get more retail money and actually the brand to ordinary people becomes more relevant. I guess you know, that, that might change in the future. We'll see. Um, so looking at some ownership, uh, this is a club I used to support. So football ownership, of course, was once quite uh, straightforward. And I would say unprofessional in the sense that it was you know, one individual. In this case, David Dean used to own um, used to own Arsenal. You had you know, a single owner. You had an English captain. It was all very sort of simple and straightforward. And then things changed, of course, since the 90s and beyond. So then we have the beginning, so looking at the sort of European Super League, the group of death, question mark. So then from a legal point of view, we try to analyze what sort of a transaction was or is the European Super League. So we will analyze each of those four options in a second. Was it a hostile takeover of UEFA? Was it a leveraged buyout? Was it a securitization? Or was it a joint venture? Uh, and by the way, I think you can make a case, by the way, for all of those, each, each of those answers. So on the European Super League, yeah, so you've had, I think, CBC, Capital Partners, one of the PE firms I mentioned at the beginning of the, of the talk, looked at the European Super League and, and turned it down. Um, I don't know why, I have no inside information, but I'm led to believe that they did look at this deal and in the end refused to, to back it. Um, as far as we could tell, there's no equity investment in the European Super League. I think it was, it was only funding by way of debt. So if you were looking for a debt to equity ratio, you could argue that ratio was 100% towards debt. Um, it very instantly, the way that was the, the loan element, it was uh, portrayed as a grant, uh, which I personally was misleading. In my view, a grant is something you, you give to somebody and you don't get anything back. Um, so, but it was a loan uh, from JP Morgan uh, who were gonna underwrite it and the loan was gonna be in place for 23 years. Interest rate was very low. Um, we're led to believe two to 3%. Um, so looking at the revenue, um, at least according to the European Super League, so the, Euro, the Champions League, as Ludovic mentioned, is kind of the biggest source of revenue for UEFA. Um, I think last year, the 32 teams shared, you know, 2 billion. Uh, the European Super League thought if, if their proposal went through, then there would have been 4 billion to share amongst the kind of main clubs. And those numbers are from European, I haven't verified those. But that's the kind of crux of this you know, the European Super League would argue that there was more money taken out of the hands of UEFA and put the, put the football, give more money back to, to football. Um, so looking at the structure, so we, we analysed the structure. We got it actually from a, from a court judgment. There was a Spanish injunction, uh, amazingly, which said uh, that no other uh, body, including UEFA or FIFA, could make any negative remarks against the, Europe, against the Super League, which is a quite phenomenal injunction to get from a Spanish court. In any event, that, that injunction sort of did reveal, disclose some of the, the legal structure. You've got bottom left-hand corner, the Super League, um, 
Uh, notice, by the way, that they, they removed the word Europe. So you could argue this was never just a European league. It was maybe going to be global. It was going to be owned by a Spanish holding company called European Super uh, League Company. And that was going to be owned by the 15 founder member clubs. And we were also able to find the revenue share. So how is the profits going to be shared amongst those 15 super clubs? So first of all, bottom right-hand corner, 32.5% would be shared equally amongst the 15 permanent clubs. The next um, 32% roughly would be given to all 20 clubs. There could be five clubs who were going to come in and out of the Super League, depending on performance, and then some other monies would be, go, would be based on, on performance and, and bonus. Um, at the high level, this is a, you know, there's basically a large loan coming in by way of a bond issuance. And if the deal went through, that bond probably would have been, would have been syndicated to, you know, 100, 200 investors. So that's the kind of, um, uh, just very briefly, for those who don't know, I mean, just some history, very brief history on, on JP Morgan. I always find interesting what sort of culture uh, behind some of these organizations. Uh, I'll leave you with two kind of interesting bits of information on the founder, JP Morgan, John Pierpoint, Morgan, very famous financier in the US. One, I think he, I would argue, but he funded one of the first ever leverage buyouts, which was the formation of basically US Steel, which created the first billion dollar business back in sort of the early 1900s. And secondly, he tried to fund the building of the tube line, um, Piccadilly line. Um, so this kind of, yeah, it was clear JP Morgan were very international business you know, from the get go. Um, so then, yeah, looking at, you know, what sort of deal is the transaction? Uh, Ludovic, what's your view? How would you classify the European Super League? Uh, yeah, no, I would say it's, 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 it's a fairly classic sort of management buyout, right? So it's, it's because it's, 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 it's the managers of these companies, I mean, it's, it's, it's a special type, it's managers of these companies getting together and saying, we want to be bought out of where we are currently. And then the sponsor, JP Morgan here, is helping them to get out of their current commitments. Um, so there is a lot of elements of management buyout, but it's a very special kind, like with, with an alliance of companies, which is something we, we, haven't, we would have seen. I mean, the equivalent would be like all the airlines, for example, who call JP Morgan and say, can you buy us out of all of our owners? And then we're just going to be one global airline, and then we'll have a monopoly, like mm -hmm. something like that, right? Um, that, that would be interesting. Um, but that, that's what is the closest to it, I think. So it's very original. We, we've never seen something like that. Yeah, I've never seen anything myself. I mean, I would argue, though, that because there's no business, I mean, there's there's a business being acquired, but not really paying for it. So I, I don't know whether or not there's even... Yeah, because they're not really buying out the owners either, right? So yes. it, 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 it's very weird. Yeah, it, yeah. You, you cannot really put it in a box very easily. Maybe the, maybe the options E, which I haven't listed. Maybe, it, maybe it's other. Maybe it's not A, B, C, or D. Maybe it's E. Um, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's a certain type of management buyout, yeah. So I'm just looking at, so we got, as I mentioned, we, we, we kind of review the 12 ownership structures for all of the, uh, well, the named founding member clubs. I'm not going to go through all 12, but I'm going to, I'm going to get, um, whose name do I see? Uh, Francisco, can you pick it? Can you pick, tell me a club we want us to review, one of the 12 founding members clubs. Um, how about uh, Real Madrid? Real Madrid, okay. Well, you obviously, I can tell by your accent, by the way. I'm, I'm guessing there's a, uh, you've got a vested interest there. So Real, 
So actually, this is very straightforward. Um, so the question that we've always gone through is, has Real ever gone through a leveraged buyout? I think as far as we can tell, no is the answer. Um, as you know, it's it's owned sort of economically by the the club members. I think there's now there's about 100,000. 100, um, but of course, who owns it and who controls it is a very different thing. Of course, the president, as you know, controls the club, hence why Real were able to to enter the European Super League. I think technically are still part of the European Super League. They haven't yet formally pulled out, and neither has Juventus. Um, I think so even today that Juventus are about to kick, be kicked out of Syria A unless they do remove themselves from the Super League. Um, so yeah, that's so very simply, um, you know, they haven't gone through a sort of big financing where the debt levels are very large in Real, hence the I guess the need that they felt to to enter this new um, structure. So that's one of the more easy ones. We need one more. Uh, Lord Treesman, what's what club do you do you um are you a Spurs fan? I am. My, okay. my title is of Tottenham, so I could Of course, that. of course. Sorry, yeah. apologies. Excuse my um I guess we all we all have a crosses to bear, right? So um the... you, I, many of my closest friends are Arsenal people, so what can I say? <laughs> <laughs> But the reminds me of a bad joke. Okay, the, um, so some of my best friends are Arsenal fans. That's fine. Yeah, yeah. So, so if I get anything wrong here, by the way, I'm sure you'll 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 kick me. But as far as we can tell, we I mean obviously Lord, Lord Sugar was was a was an owner once. Um, but I don't. My analysis, though, believe that the, the club hasn't gone through what I call a classic leverage buyout. It was kind of been the sort of ownerships was sort of changed over a period of piecemeal transactions. It is owned by you know ENIC, which is basically an investment company, as you know. The uh, but in terms of you know has it formally gone through one of these type of leveraged buyouts? I think the answer is no. When will it in the future? Don't know. Um, I couldn't find an interesting fact uh, on on Spurs. So so that's I think a reasonably so straightforward one. But probably we could do one more other. Uh, Ludovic, you want to pick a club? Yeah, no. So uh, Arsenal was intrigued when you had it there because it showed like a ninety-two percent leverage ratio. I, I had no idea there was so much leverage on Arsenal. I, I, I didn't think they were that aggressive financially. I thought it was just like a cash cow because they they don't they so don't buy any big player. Like they don't spend money. I really didn't think they would be deep in debt. I, I thought that you know the big problem was that they were not spending enough. Um, but I, I'm shocked to see that they are 92 percent in debt. Yeah, I think that's the highest ratio, by the way. I think of the um, was it seven clubs or twelve. But I wonder many things because the equity shrunk because they haven't done well, you know, since they decided not to use French people anymore, or or, or and then the debt, you know, became very big compared to their equity, or whether it was like that at inception as well. I, yeah, I, I think I, I think that number is from the. Debt. Yeah, I think that's the number as at the time of the L, you know, the the, the main sort of buyout from 2008. But I think, I yeah, we, we can probably check if, if that's changed much since. But I mean, of course, you know that that you know it's it's basically a, so I would call it a holding company that that owns. You know, I wouldn't, I don't think it's a private equity fund. Um, I mean, I, as I'm sure you saw, Spotify made a serious bid to buy Arsenal in the last two weeks. So, no, I didn't see that. So, how much did they offer to buy Arsenal? Um, I haven't got that to hand, but I'm. But yeah, I guess just an example of how it could be another type of exit for these clubs. So Spotify, I'm, I'm guessing, are seeing it for distribution what, rights. What would be the logic of Spotify buying Arsenal? It makes no sense, right? Like Sometimes we, we try to find some synergies and it, has, it is a stretch. But here, like it's, it's, it's more than a stretch to find any kind of synergy. Unless you want to play certain type of music in the stadium. Maybe it's because uh, Arsenal Stadium is too quiet. And so Spotify says, you know, I'm going to... 
um, you know, it's it's the, the the Arsenal Cathedral, right? No library, library because there's no noise. Uh, hybrid the library was was why I used yeah, to go to hybrid the library. The library. So, so maybe Spotify wants to uh, bring some music into a library, maybe that's yeah. why. Yeah. And perhaps Joe Rogan, maybe they kind of sprucing it up a little bit. So, but it's clearly an example, right? You've got, but it's clearly I think a good example though of of ownership becoming professional. So you know, gone are the days ish of a wealthy individual, I and mean, there's some examples, but. A wealthy individual is buying a club for for many many men for his pleasure. Now this is a fully professional ownership structure. Well, you know, it, it's it, it's worth two or three billion, so there are not that many people who, for fun, can put three billion on the table, right? Um, I, I will cover. I'm going to pick one myself away. I will I will I will cover um, Liverpool um, mainly because my daughter. It's not here. Um, so, but it's interesting sort of test um, analysis because, of course, in 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 07, you know, the, the Liverpool went through a you know a, a, um, a, a leverage buyout um, um, where the I actually couldn't find out the exact sort of debt. Oh, 75 percent actually, roughly, I think, is the debt to equity ratio. But the reason for bringing up the Liverpool example is not not to kind of make fun of them, but it, it was a failed leverage buyout, of course. Um, Hicks and Gillette lost control of the club. Royal Bank of Scotland were the main debt providers in that transaction. It ended up going to court. You know, the two the two owners lost control, and RBS took control, took the keys of the club, and of course then stepped in the next sort of iteration. So you got Fenway basically stepped in and bought the club um, for I can't remember the exact amount of money, but it wasn't it wasn't a huge it wasn't a huge amount of money because it was it was you know it was basically a fire sale. Well, it was a fire sale. Um, more recently, Redbird, uh, an actual PE firm, they've taken a 10% minority stake in Liverpool. So this, this is just an example of the, um, yeah, so where, you know, if a buyout doesn't go well, it, it can have damage. And I guess just because Liverpool is such a strong brand, it was able to find a buyer and, and maybe it's gone back on track. Um, so that's just an example of, you know, where it can go wrong. So... Uh, actually, we'll do. We'll do one more. Uh, so this is obviously Man City. You know, Man City was uh, again funny, did did not go to a leverage buyout. I mean, basically, it was owned bought by you know a sovereign wealth fund, the Abu Dhabi fund for cash. Um, maybe unsurprisingly, uh, in uh, what year was it? Two thousand and five, wasn't it? It's not really a sovereign wealth fund, right? Uh, what would you call it? I don't know what it is, but but it's not like Adia or like it's not like a, you know. QIC or like it, it's not a Middle East sovereign wealth fund, I would say. Um, or, or maybe it's a sovereign then. Maybe it's a sovereign that owns it, because it's basically the isn't it the it's Sheikh Mansour. So maybe it's a, maybe it's just a, a, a sovereign that owns it, as opposed to a sovereign wealth fund. Um, but it's yeah, certainly it's it's not a, a, a corporate office. If it's if it's that Sheikh who, who owns Abu yeah. Dhabi United Group. And then and that bought Manchester City means is the shake property. So you are in a family setup. So it's an individual who has a club, like in the good old days. Except it's just, it's a shake. Um of course, you know, if you look at you know, look at I think the European Cup or Champions League, it's on my age. Uh with the final you have what, Man City and Chelsea. And maybe it's uh, just by coincidence, but obviously both clubs are owned by well, if you're, we're saying City's in the you know as a family office, so is Chelsea. So interesting that both clubs this year in the final are both owned by individuals, um, perhaps with perhaps with bottomless pockets. So that's on City. 
Um, I, I will so I will cover uh, the Man U because so Man U um, actually just in today there was a very good article in the, in the Times today about the you know the Glaziers involvement. Um, I thought an interesting fact I saw from today since the club was taken over by the Glaziers in 2005, which um, there's been one billion spent on uh, a interest uh, loan interest charges, b other fees and c dividends. So that's a reasonable large amount of money we've been extracted from the club in that period of, what is that, 15, 16 years. So it is now technically listed on the New York Stock Exchange, but it's not a real listing in my personal view because it's still controlled by the Glacier family and to buy the club, you'd need the Glacier's consent. So it's not really a free market um, listing. Yeah, so effectively it's an individual just like in the good old days. So there are still quite a lot of individuals owning stock. Yeah, and depending how you designate them, yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, the thing I find most surprising all that none of these clubs are owned by a PE firm. I mean, it, I mean, apart from, if unless you, I mean, I, I will jump so they to run the league. So, so CBC bought the league. So they bought Serie A or thing you know, like the Bundesliga. They were trying to buy. They were trying to buy the organizers, right? Yeah, they're going one level above. I will cover. Um, I keep saying the last one, but um, AC Milan because I think this is an interesting test case. Um, again, I didn't know this before my research, but so AC Milan now is owned by a firm called Elliott Management, which is not a private equity firm. It's, it's a hedge fund, a very well-known hedge fund in, in, in New York, run by a guy called Paul Singer, who's very well um, known in the sort of financing space and famous for kind of going against governments and sovereign debt sort of spates. He, um, so this was interesting. This is what was called an, a loan-to-own strategy. So Elliott made a loan to the then sort of owners of um, AC Milan, I think at a very, very high interest rate. I wasn't able to find the exact interest rate, but the owners were defaulted on the on the loan and Elliot then basically took control of the club via that strategy. So when the question was posed to me, how much involved is private equity in, in these clubs? Actually, my conclusion is I don't know because you, you, you need to know how the debt is owned in all these clubs to fully know the involvement of finance. But it is something to be aware of. This club ended up, you know, losing control of itself really by just having too much leverage. And so now I think as well talked about there's basically a power struggle going on at AC Milan, how that club is run. So that's um, so, yeah, you could argue that's a PE firm, but it's it, it, the very minimum is it's a hedge fund that owns Elliott, that owns AC Milan. Uh, and we got that's that's Inter Milan. Um, Juve is still, you know, has family office control, right? The the Fiat family. So, um, so yeah, just quick so, summary of sort of numbers. So twelve clubs uh, founded. Um, I think you know twenty five percent are sort of part owned by by private equity firm. Um, if you assume that Elliot's not a PE firm, then I think zero is actually controlled by private equity firm. And then, yeah, the rest are kind of owned by the fans, stroke individuals. And, yeah, two, two-thirds of those clubs have gone through a leverage buyout so far. And uh, there, is a, there is an interesting thing, a uh, comment in, by uh, Shui in the, in, 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 in the chat. What, and he points out that, you know, maybe buying the leagues uh, provides a more steady access to, like, income and rather than, like, buying the clubs. I think it goes back to what we said earlier. Buying a club, is such a prestige thing that people are paying way too much compared to what it's worth. Um, and it's because it's the prestige and practically doesn't care about prestige, practically wants cash. So where is the cash and non-prestige? 
were in running a league. It's not prestigious to own the Bundesliga. You don't own anything. You don't get access to any, you know, lounge on Sundays. You cannot tell your friends, you know, I own Bayern Munich. So there is no prestige, but there's tons of money that you can make. And it's like a monopoly situation, etc. So there is a lot of things you can optimize. So for politically, it's indeed a more natural habitat to run like six nation tournament, to run the Serie A, to run like a national league. Um, rather than having a prestige asset that you would have to overpay just to say, oh, I own Toulouse Football Club. I think that's you know, all, all, all fair comments. And you know, also people have realised that, and going back to my earlier comments, that fans believe they own these clubs. So that, that's who you're, you're up against, right? I mean, even you do. So it's, yeah, and there's... And it's pretty tricky, right? I was very surprised about the fan rebellion about the European Super League, actually. It, 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 it was beyond what I thought. And, and we had that also recently uh, in my hometown, Toulouse. Um, a private equity fund came in to buy uh, a huge stake in the, in the club. And immediately there was like, all the local press was like, what is this private equity stuff? What are these American people? And what is it they're going to do? And so immediately you have the fans who, yeah, they feel they own the club. So it's not that easy like to, to take over such a company, right? Often when practically guys say, oh, they're like, is it a unionized company? They're like, unions is going to be trouble. Well, like, imagine this is unions power 10. It's like 100,000 fans, but will make your life a nightmare. They don't like you, right? And they really can. We have seen many examples of fine rebellion that makes life very, very difficult. So you probably don't want to go there as a practically firm. It's actually very tricky, I think, to take over clubs. So I think you're right. It seems that the PE is going a, a, almost a level above the football clubs, the kind of the ownership structures, yeah. and and maybe one day they'll get into the actual, you know, the the associations as well, right? UEFA and FIFA. Who knows? Maybe that that's yeah. But this natural. one is tricky because it's a non-profit. So like like I don't know how you would take over FIFA. Like you you can only like like displace them. You organize a parallel World Cup, um, something yeah. like that. But as always, you think they always happen in sort of steps, don't they? I think I think that's part of the problem with the European Super League. I think they try to chew off too much too quickly. But and that's just my comment as a non-fan. So looking at the, um, uh, we've got then. So yeah, as I'm sure you, most of you know, the European Super League is not a new idea. Uh, I think it was first thought about you know over you know thirty odd years ago by Berlusconi. And um, you know, interestingly, the UEFA's reaction then was to. Uh, what was then called, well, I remember the European Cup, and uh, they basically rebranded it as a Champions League. That was a reaction to, um, you know, a group of clubs trying to kind of form what, what then was, you know, the European Super League. So, and actually, interestingly, JP Morgan were, were going to be the proposed bankers as well in that deal from 30 years ago. So okay. they haven't gone away, you know, is a famous uh, Irish comment. So there are other angles um, in football, of course. Again, I didn't realize in my research. So the Premier League has taken a loan from. MetLife, a very famous US-based insurance company, which, which kind of acts like a, an investment fund as well. You mentioned the Bundesliga. You've got, you know, I think Advent, CDC are, are I don't think they've closed the deal yet, but looking to get some of their broadcasting rights. Um, I think there were 20 think private equity firms bid for that, for that, for those contracts, 20 to zero. So and uh, some other deals you mentioned there's your beloved Toulouse as uh, Redbird actually isn't it um who I think are also a shareholder in, in Liverpool and you've got um lastly yeah you've got Crystal Palace which is partly owned by a guy called Josh Harris who's one of the big shareholders in Apollo um the US firm so there are other examples outside the European Super League um 
an interesting mm -hmm. question, Imon, would be like, you know, these these practically firms do have quite some money. So if they wanted to buy clubs, like one way that, that they could make that profitable is they own many clubs in the same league. So like imagine, you know, they could buy like actually all 20 clubs of a Premier League and they are sure to win the Premier League, right? Because they just like own them all. In fact, they could even decide which one they want to win because they would own everything. But, but, it's, it's, but there are restrictions, aren't they? I think the, even the Premiership doesn't allow you to own more than one club, I think. I yeah, think there that would are. be interesting. Yeah. yeah, maybe they have thought about that yeah. uh, and they have these restrictions. I don't know if every league would have that. I don't know if like League Two in France, like with Toulouse and Nancy and Troyes, they would have like restrictions as to like who can own these clubs. Go, go on, David, you jump in. It's a FIFA and UEFA rule. You can't own clubs that are likely to compete with each other if they're in the same division in the same league they certainly will compete with each other but it's even the case where they're likely to meet in uh, international competitions like um, European Cups it's uh, it, 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 you would be immediately expelled from the uh, from the system what, what is interesting though with particularly that ownership is not very well defined so what happens is because they are just sponsors so if you would have like like a CVC that sponsors, a new co that takes over Liverpool. Then they sponsor another new co, which is separate from the one that, that took over Liverpool, but takes over Manchester United, etc. Technically, these companies are all independent from one another. It's just they have a common sponsor who's kind of controlling these different entities, but is not consolidated. And, and, and it is currently still a big question mark because in the other sectors as well, um, when they have a common sponsors, these companies are still considered independent by regulators most of the time. So there will be this very fine line because the ownership is not well defined. Technically, the ownership is one company that is independent from another. They just have like a common sponsor who's kind of in the background controls everything. So there, there, that would rise actually some pretty interesting legal questions because um, you, you could technically consider them independent. Well, it would certainly, okay. make, certainly make the lawyers, uh, you'll be pleased with this, Eamon, it'll make the lawyers very rich. Any, I'm, just wondering, I'm just wondering if there's anything Blackstone on, because I think you've given a PE from a great idea that hopefully you get you get you get remunerated for that excellent idea. I know it's, actually, my, it's my generosity, you know. I'm, I make I, lawyers rich and and, and and generate good ideas for writing. Well, lawyers are important, right? I mean, you know, the world wouldn't, you know, one of the oldest but, professions in the world. But it's always yeah. the lawyers who win at the end. Indeed. Well, um, so this is actually the variance you just mentioned that because this is the you know, this is obviously the, the structure for City Football, which is the holding company for which owns Man City. And but yeah, you can see that they own you know various clubs in in in, in different jurisdictions. So um, you know, query whether or not that will be that kind of structure will be replicated by other sort of holding companies. I mean, it's kind of run like a fund, I would argue. I'd argue City Football now is basically an investment fund. So so that's on that. And then we got yeah the other sort of looking at other sports. I mentioned CVC, yeah, got a deep involvement in, in rugby now. Um, you've got Silver Lake has or is about to take a big stake in, in the All Blacks, probably the, one of the world's leading brands in sport. Um, CVC are also heavily involved, of course, in, in Formula One and they exited to, you know, they made, a, they made a good return on that. And then there's some information on uh, National Football League in the States, which I didn't realize actually the NFL has got its own venture capital business called 32 Equity. Uh, so that might give ideas some other kind of organizations around the world to have their own sort of venture arm. So that's just some examples of sport and private equity. So then some few sort of final remarks here. I've got 
Uh, JP Morgan, for its involvement, got downgraded by one of the ESG bodies. Um, they said that getting involved was, I think, unethical. So the question, is this such a hot area that might frighten off other institutions? So if the European Super League was to come back, who, who would fund it? I mean, would JP Morgan do it again? Perhaps not, who knows? Um, a point on the power of private equity, because you know the amount of money which has been raised but not yet invested is a huge amount of money. I think you know estimates now have it at, at, at two trillion. Again, just to give you a kind of what two trillion sort of looks like, it's it's roughly the kind of annual product GDP of Brazil each year. So there's a lot of money in the wings waiting to come in. If private equity does does get involved, then there's clearly you no know, more intermediary, another intermediary involved. And we talk about it's not a, not a, not not a cheap asset class to be involved in a business. Um, the own to loan strategy, I think, is something to, to, to note. You know, that's how, as I said, AC Milan, uh, how Elliot got control of AC Milan. Uh, the And the last two last points here is, yeah, really look at who owns the debt in these clubs. And um, I guess, yeah, maybe more involvement in clubs, in, in leagues. I thought this was a reasonably funny remark in one of the FT comments. So, oh, I've got... Um, you know, if if private equity does get involved, then you know we, we will see what the how that is sort of perceived. There's a question for you, Ludovic. What's the connection between Disney and football? I don't know. Uh, Michael Eisner, the former CEO, of course, now owns Portsmouth. So um, yeah, I think he, he may be getting further involved in the football league. Um, that's my daughter. Um, this is winning a, winning a competition at. At, funny enough, at, at FIFA. Um, that is, there's two more slides. There's, there's the boss himself. Um, we didn't put the Arsenal fact in, Ludovic, sorry. Yeah. Um, okay, nowadays we keep that a bit silent. Indeed. Uh, that's my colleague, Giorgio. He helped me do all the research. Hopefully you're on, Giorgio. Thank you for all your excellent work. Uh, and Alex, too, on the slides. And then lastly, so a, um, yeah, now, this is not the end, it's not even the beginning of the end, but it is perhaps the end of the beginning. So as you, I'm sure Lord Treason knows, yeah, Churchill was an Arsenal fan and did try to help Arsenal find Highbury, I think, um, in its formation. So great man, great man indeed. Indeed. So yeah, we're open, open to the floor now. Have any kind of criticisms, comments, questions? Yeah, um, anyone wants to ask anything? Francisco. So, uh, hello, Imun. Thank you very much for a very interesting presentation. Um, I, I wanted to ask, um, what, from my perspective, there are a lot of teams that perhaps are not the most winning or the most uh, profitable in, in terms of uh, competition, but they, there are a lot of teams that are winning money because people feel identified with the image, with the trademarks. Uh, with the players, with the history and all that. Do you think that that may affect uh, the valuation? Because uh, I was impressed to see that, for instance, uh, Real Madrid was such a, uh, had a, such a low valuation when the, the name of Real Madrid is so relevant in the, in the commercial world. Uh, I'll be honest, I don't know the answer to that question. I mean, I think obviously there's more and more power getting concentrated in a smaller number of clubs. 
I think obviously the European Super League had it went through that even would have intensified it further. Um, but I don't know anybody else want to answer. I'm not sure fully. Um, Ludovic or David. The, I think the um, there's a. I don't know if you've come across it, but um, there's a very very detailed report done once a year by Deloitte on the um, value of clubs, on uh, the way in which you can potentially value their assets, because uh, footballers are intangible assets. If you were putting them in a balance sheet, you put them in the intangible assets category. And uh, it's also got the principal ways in which they derive their income because there are a number of different sources. And some of them don't appear automatically in the value of the club because they are tied up with the image rights which are partially owned by the players and in some cases partially owned by the agents as well. So the actual um, economic structuring of these entities is more opaque than I think people sometimes imagine. And I know that when I was chairing the, um, the FA and therefore was chairman of, of the England football team, if you can think of it as like a club with its own stadium as well, Wembley, uh, the intricacy of almost any negotiation about who got what for anything was miles more complex than any commercial negotiation I've been in. And as you know, Eamon, I've been involved in commercial negotiations of one kind or another for a very long time. I think that, that if, if you want, the, the best scraping of the surface I've seen has been in those Deloitte reports. And they uh, are able to compare the overall value of clubs, uh, largely in Europe, because they're actually even now more valuable than the clubs in, uh, in South America. They've been able to compare them at a great deal of depth. And that's the way I think it's worth looking at them. Um, incidentally, I, I, I should say it is, it is interesting that the attempt to create the uh, new so-called Super League uh, fell over as fast as it did. I mean, I'm, I'm not at all surprised. I would have been absolutely astounded if it had come off. Um, is because it was trying to replace an existing trade federation, which is what the current leagues are, with another one in which almost none of the people who had interests, the fans yeah. certainly, but almost anybody else had any stake whatsoever. I mean, if, if you try to write down a list of the people who would have a stake in the success of this new trade federation, it would have been the owners of the uh, original 12 and then possibly in relatively quick order, 15 clubs, no one else at all. Yeah, yeah. So it's certainly going to sort of concentrate power, wasn't it, amongst the select few, I guess. Um, okay, thanks, Lord Treisman. Any other? Can I just make one other comment? Sorry, I don't mean to, it's your show, guys. <laughs> Tell me not to. If you're... One of the other things I think is very interesting about the relationship of fans and why they feel they own it is partly because they feel they own football rather more than just the club that they support. And the club that they support has a very, very peculiar characteristic, which you guys have actually been mentioning throughout this evening. And I just want to point it out, if I may. Football clubs are monopolies. They're natural monopolies. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. no, no one, if I don't like what's happening at Spurs and I don't, I can't go to somewhere else and I won't. <laughs> if I want Spurs delivered, there's a monopoly supplier of Spurs and there's a monopoly supplier of Arsenal. And we've each talked in oblique ways about how strongly we feel. We've, you can see it in our faces, how strongly we feel mm. about our clubs. And so um, I, I think supporters recognise that there's almost a kind of an umbilical cord. Someone else takes control of it completely and you do something which is completely outside the ecosystem of football, there'll be a rebellion. It's a cultural thing. And mm. culture is always the most powerful. And, you know, I, I, I sometimes say if you if you um, had a boxing match between culture and systems and organization, hmm. culture will win by a knockout in round one of every bout. Yeah. So, so I, I like a lot what you said. Like that, 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 I haven't thought about it this way. Like I, I like this thing, but it's, it's, it's indeed interesting that you would, because you wouldn't go to another club, then you would just rebel and make the life of your owner a nightmare, right? Going back earlier to what we we're saying about how much trouble can supporters do? Um, in France, Marseille, for example, has a lot of very strong supporters and they haven't been happy with the results, although Marseille is number five in the league. And they have set fire to like the, the training camps. They have been like attacking players physically, etc. It's untenable. So you cannot not. And, and, and what, in, in following what you said, if it was just as easy as, okay, I don't like what's happening in Marseille. I'm going to support Nice or, or, or Lyon. Then, then I wouldn't set fire to like the, the training camp and all these things. I would just change clubs, okay? Um, and because you don't do that, then you're you, you're willing to go all the way to like you know set fire on everything, and and but you you will not let go uh, that that team. That's interesting. It's almost a form of addiction, isn't it? You can't get rid of it. You can't change. You can't you can't drop what you're doing. And the demand is inelastic, isn't it? Inelastic demand. You can't. There's no. Yeah. Doesn't matter well, what happens to the. People, people buy less of stuff, right? So, so it's not like people would guarantee your revenue. So, for example, because Arsenal is not doing so well, they do sell less jersey and so on and so forth. They acquire a few less new fans. And so it, it, you do lose money if you're not doing well. But what's interesting indeed is that like, a fan will never go away. And so the hardcore fan, which is like burn down everything as a first choice. It's, it's, it's absolutely true. And if you think of the case of, of the Arsenal, which I think is a very interesting one, when um, one of its uh, major shareholders, the, the Russian major shareholder, uh, Asimov, was uh, trying to buy shares from other people, people, uh, apart, from, um, apart, from, apart from a couple of the, the people, the Bracewell Smiths, finally, and, um, and uh, one or two others, they wouldn't sell him the shares because they didn't think he was the right person to own their what they thought of as their club. They would rather it uh, all suffered from a significant lack of investment than to sell him the shares. Mm. Well, the European Super League is one of the few things which had, you know, the royal family in Britain, you know, Labour Party, Tory Party, all united. I mean, I've never seen a, an issue, not even the coronavirus managed to unite people in such a way as People's reaction against the ESL, remarkable. Um, but, but, but what do you think? What do you think CVC did passed in the deal? Do you think they realised this is just too difficult to pull off and, and didn't do it? Oh, 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 yeah. CVC, why CVC? Uh, so CVC looked at, I think, you know, basically 
taken the role, I guess, of J.P. Morgan in the European Super League. Okay, I didn't know they had. Yeah, no, I, I, maybe they were smart enough to realize what did happen, which is like it's a very hard one to pull, especially if you go like full on for first, first time around. You need to think about, indeed, it was interesting to see like that the national leagues were saying, we're going to expel the clubs from the league mm -hmm. because the European Super League could have coexisted with national leagues. You could have had, you know, Manchester United competing with all the clubs in Premier League and then just having another competition, which is instead of the Champions League, uh, to have you, the Super League games. That's it, right? So, so, so there, there would have been a way to like build this up in a smoother way, but you would have had to get first the approval of the National Leagues, so you keep them. And you say, you know, instead of, you know, the, 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 the uh, Champions League giving you some money, then it's the uh, ESL that will give you money. Uh, we take a, less, a smaller cut than the UFA, so it should be all right. So you get all these people in your pocket and then you build up. Like there was a lot more steps um, before you get to this project. I don't think it's a stupid project at all. Um, and, but but it, it needs to a lot of more work than that. And so maybe CVC saw that it was like a huge amount of work. and. and that's it for now. This was Football Laid Bear. I hope you liked it. Don't forget to subscribe and to like it and to rate it if you enjoyed it. Congratulations on your acquisition of one more piece of knowledge. Ciao, ciao.